Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome here to our uh, afternoon service at Calvary Baptist Church of Trihern. And also welcome to those uh, watching over live streaming here and listening to our FN signal in sound. And please open me uh, number 57. Number 57. <clears throat> Jesus, I am resting. Number 57. <clears throat> I am finding out the great 
Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful again that we can rest in Thee, thankful that we can know Thy forgiveness and have Thy peace in our heart, that we don't have to be troubled about what's going on in our world. We don't have to be worried about what's coming in the future. And we don't have to be worried about where we're going to end up. We thank Thee that we can know Thee as our God and Savior. We can know that we have a God who holds us in, our, in His hand and that we can know as well where we're going. We're thankful that we can have that confidence if we know thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is our Savior. And we're thankful for providing us a place to meet. We're thankful that thou hast preserved thy word so that we can know the truth today. So we pray that as we spend this time together this afternoon that thy will be accomplished. We pray for a strong connection that those who are listening via live stream can, can pick up on our service. Pray that our sermon audio would work well for our archives as well, and even our site as well. We thank thee, Father, for the technology that we can use for thy glory. And we do pray that we would be able to help others to know the truth. We continue to pray for our own governments, both federally, provincially, and municipally. Pray, Father, that uh, we would be able to encourage people to come to know thee as their God and Savior, see the importance of seeking thy wisdom in the decisions that need to be make in gov- made in government. We ask that thy will continue to be done in the land of Israel for people to be Amen. saved there. And we pray for the Arab countries around there as well, that there too people would get saved in these last days that we have. Pray for the war in, uh, between Russia and Ukraine, for Christians there to be strong and faithful to thee, for people to be saved in that country, in that land. And we ask that... Uh, Thy will be accomplished there as well. We thank thee that we have a God who is over all and a God who has the answer to every problem that we face as people. How important it is for us to know thee and to follow thee. So we pray that thy will be accomplished here and that we would be attentive to thy word and allow thee to do thy work in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And over to uh, 125. 125. Jesus paid it all. 125. <clears throat> Wow. 
Jesus something wonderful 450 <clears throat> There will never be a sweeter story Story of the Savior love divine Love that brought him from the realms of glory Just to save a sinful soul like mine Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Turn to the book of Proverbs, 
book of Proverbs is a very good book. All of the Bible is good. The book of Proverbs is identified as a book of God's wisdom, uh, given to us for the most part through King Solomon, was the writer. God is the author of all of the scripture. King Solomon was granted great wisdom by God. The sad reality with Solomon is that while he was granted great wisdom, he he did not uh, follow God's wisdom in his life. And that's the danger. So as we look at the book of Proverbs, I trust that we will pay attention to what God says and see the importance of following God's word. So if you have your Bibles open at Proverbs chapter 27, we're going to read there verse 23 to 27. We'll stand please for the reading of God's word. Proverbs 23 or 27 verse 23 to 27. It says there, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well to thy herds. For riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation? The hay appeareth, and the tender grass showeth itself, and herbs of the mountains are gathered. The lambs are for thy clothing, and the goats are the price of the field. And thou shalt have goat's milk enough for thy food, for the food of thy household, and for the maintenance for thy maidens. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful again that we have thy word. We're thankful again that we can read thy word. Thankful that we have a God who is able to keep his word safe for every generation. Even though we know that there are many that have tampered with thy word, and there are many corrupt perversions of thy word on the market today, but we're thankful that even in this day, in September the 4th, 2022, we still have an accurate text from thee. We're thankful for the men that were chosen to write down thy word, And we're thankful that we have a God who has watched over those who copied it out, those who print it, that there still is an accurate text for us today. We don't have to wonder if this is actually true, but we can trust in thee and we can learn from thee. We can be saved and walk with thee and know thy blessing. And so we pray that as we look at these verses that we would allow thee to speak to our hearts. Pray that we would set aside anything that would distract us. I pray that thou wouldst help us to be alert, that we would not fall asleep, but that we would see the importance of this time in thy word and allow thee to teach us and that we would want to receive that teaching. May thy will be accomplished, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, some of you may be asking, we've done this, I don't know how many years now that I've done it in the churches that I've pastored, we stand most of the times to read God's word. Why do we do that? Well, in the Old Testament, we find that when the uh, Ezra, I believe it's in the book of Ezra, I'd have to check for sure now, but uh, when they were meeting together and Ezra was going to teach them that the people stood for the reading of God's word. 
Why do we stand? Well, we stand because when we're standing, there's less opportunity to us for us to be fidgeting with other things. And so we can, we can, if we want to. Now, we can stand and still be distracted. But if we want to pay attention, there's less to be distracted with if we're standing to read God's word. And we need to hear what God says, not just with our ears, but it needs to actually sink in and penetrate to our hearts. So that's why we do that. We read in the New Testament that Jesus went into the temple and they gave him a scroll to read from. And the Bible tells us that he read from the book of Isaiah. And it says that he stood to read and then he sat down to teach. So again, we see there the importance of of the attention given in the reading of God's word. Now, I have a chair behind me and sometimes I sit down. But most of the times I stand. But, you know, that chair is there to, to sit down. You're sitting, and sometimes I just need to rest my legs And because I'm getting a little bit older. I don't want to say I'm getting older, but I'm getting a little bit older. So sometimes I need to sit down as well to, to do some preaching. So, But, you know, God's word is very important. And as the title is, put God first in your life. Put God first in your life. Christians need to be awake. We need to pay attention to what's going on. There's a lot of things happening in our world. And there are a lot of people, including professing Christians, who seem to be very surprised by what's going on in our world. Now, none of us can say, well, I know everything that's going on, because that would be lying. But we have a God who knows everything. And he has given us his word to help us to understand what's actually going on. What's actually happening. And so if you're a person that likes to pay attention to the news, but if you go and you click on your radio or if you have a TV and you go to CBC, you are getting very tainted news. You are getting the opinion of individuals who are being paid by our prime minister to to tell you what he wants you to hear. If you go and you say, well, I don't listen to, to CBC, I listen to CTV. Well, if you listen to CTV, you are also listening to people who are giving you their opinions, and they are also being paid by our prime minister to tell you what he wants you to hear. Well, you say, I don't listen to either one. I listen to global news. Well, guess what? Global News is also being paid for by our Prime Minister, actually by our tax dollars, shouldn't even say by our Prime Minister, by our tax dollars to tell you what our Prime Minister wants you to hear. So you're getting a very tainted message. It used to be that news reporters reported the news, but nowadays they report their opinion about the news. So we hear a lot, if you are someone that watches the news, I follow the news, so we hear a lot about what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. And uh, depending on who you listen to, one of the things that we have learned is that North America is giving a lot of money and a lot of, me- of uh, military supplies to Ukraine. That's what we're being told. But the fact is, that 
less than half of the materials that are being sent to Ukraine are actually going to Ukraine. They don't even know where the other more than 50% is going. They don't know. So whose hands is it falling into? They don't know. That's the problem. But the news is telling us that Ukraine is the good guys, Russia is the bad guys. That's what CBC, CTV, CNN, Global, they all tell you Ukraine is the good people. They're the underdogs. They're being beaten up here by Russia. They didn't ask for this war, but it's happening. Early on when this war started, there were questions being asked about the bio, uh, bio labs in Ukraine. Bio labs, by the way, that the United States funded to make them in the first place. So the question was asked about those bio labs, and the person from the United States that answered said, we don't own any labs in Ukraine, and we are not running any labs in Ukraine. See, they were very careful with the words that they used. But the fact is, American money heavily supports the bio labs in Ukraine, and they are paying people to run those labs. They're not directly involved, so then they can say, we're not running them and we don't own them. But the United States said, oh, those labs, they're only there for research purposes. Well, we have found out because, you know, even people who want to deceive you sometimes forget how to deceive you. You know that? Sometimes people that want to lie they actually tell the truth. And so as different high officials have been questioned, they have slipped up a little bit. And they have had to admit that, yes, those bioweapons labs are actually, they're working on viruses that they can release to the population. They're working on different ways that they can use to weaken the enemy. And in fact, just recently it has come out that there are biolabs in Ukraine being used against the Ukrainian people and also against others. The Ukrainian government is a corrupt government. It's a godless government. And while they are publicly out there crying for money from across the world, and sadly many governments are being, being fooled into giving them millions upon millions of taxpayer money, the Ukrainian government is using some of that money against its own people. So again, if we want to know the truth, we need to have our ear to the ground we need to understand what God is doing. People are saying, well, it won't be long. Russia is going to fall. And you listen to the news reports, and they keep telling you that the Ukraine is standing up with their small army. They're fighting against Russia, and Russia doesn't know what to do. They can't figure out how to win. They haven't read the Bible, obviously, because the Bible tells us that Russia is going to be a major military power in the end that is going to come against Israel. They know what they're doing in Ukraine right now. They know what they're doing. They are making it look 
as though they are weak and disorganized, and people say, well, it won't be long and Russia will be done. No, not according to the Bible. So who are you going to believe? You're going to believe what God says, or are you going to believe what these commentators are saying? The wise person believes what God says. That's important to understand that. And as we look at our text today, God helps us to see the importance of observing and watching out what's going on. In our text, verse 23, it says there, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. So our first point is understand your flock. Understand your flock. So, none of us here are shepherds. One person in our midst works with cattle. So I guess the rest of us can go to sleep right now, right? Because God is talking about sheep and cattle here. So, we're not in that, so it's nothing for us, right? Wrong. Is God talking about sheep and cattle here? No. He's talking, he's using as something that we are very familiar with to talk about something that is more important than sheep and cattle. And that's people. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, if you know it, all we like sheep. Jesus says in John chapter 10 verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. Who's he talking about? He's talking about people. Many times the Bible refers to people as sheep. Why? Because we are much like sheep. We behave much like sheep. If you've ever had the chance to work with sheep, sheep are followers. You will have one ram usually that is the boss. He takes control And he leads those sheep and they follow him just about anywhere he takes them. If he finds a hole in the fence, he'll go through that hole and guess what? That whole flock will go through the hole with him. You won't find that with cattle. You might find one cow gets out of the fence or one calf gets out or two get out, but not usually the whole herd. But with sheep, if one gets out, they're all out. They're followers. And the same goes with the shepherd. When the shepherd comes in the midst of his sheep because he works with them, they get to understand, they get to, they get to identify his voice. And if he comes, for instance, with a pail, and they know that, they, they learn that in that pail he has oats, guess what happens when that shepherd rattles that pail? They all come running. Because they've learned There's oats in there. We like oats. He's rattling the pail. He must have some oats for us. And we are that way. We are followers for the most part. We have a few people in our society that they become leaders. Most of them are not good leaders. Some of them are good leaders. But we have leaders. And people, you look around you. We're followers. We're follow- we follow somebody. There's not a single person around that says, I made myself and I don't follow anybody. Some might say that, but it's not true. They've all taken and looked at somebody 
read somebody's book or whatever, and they copy what someone else is saying. And they implement that into their life. That's just the way we are as people. So there's no point in us fighting against that reality. But what we need to do is make sure that we're following the right person. That we're being led the right way. And so in verse 23, it says, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. So God is talking here in this verse to whoever it is that's leading. Be thou, thou, singular, some person, be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks. Pay attention, the shepherd, the good shepherd, he's looking at his herd, he may have a hundred sheep, and he's looking at those hundred sheep And he sees one of them is straggling behind. Why is that sheep not here with the rest? Why is he off by himself? We talked over the noon hour that there are some people that are kind of like loners. You know, they like to be by themselves. But that's not true in the animal world. And so when that one sheep is not with the rest of the herd, and when that shepherd is calling the sheep and they're all coming running and that one is kind of dragging behind, he knows There's something not quite right about that sheep. So he's going to go to that sheep and he's going to try and have a look and see, now what's wrong here? Does the sheep have the runs? He looks at the tail of that sheep and looks as it all messed up, you know. Does the sheep have a sore leg? Is he limping? What's wrong with that sheep? He tries to understand, figure out what's going on with that sheep. And God says, that's how... The leader needs to be with his flock. So who's the leader? Well, the leader in a house is the father. So the father needs to be someone who is attentive. Now, the father in the Bible is the breadwinner. So he goes out and works. He's the one that fixes the tap when it's leaking. He fixes the car. He's busy. But he cannot be so busy that he doesn't know what's going on in his family. He has to pay attention to what's going on in his family. And he can do that. God has made the man to be able to take all of those things and look after them. Man is made that way. The woman is not made that way. There are households where the woman wants to run the house. But it doesn't usually go so well. There are households where there is no man. Maybe the woman never married, but she has children. Maybe they're divorced, and so now there's a mother with the children, but there's no father because they're divorced. Maybe the husband died. In the case of where the husband died, God has a way of helping that widow to be able to look after her family. Maybe there's a father, her father's alive. Maybe she has a brother. If she's a a godly woman, she'll be in a church and there's other men that can come and assist with different things. But in the world, a household, even secular society has told us this. If there's a household where there's no father, you find that those children get into far more trouble than if there's a father. 
Why is that? Because God designed a family to be a father and a mother raising children. That's God's design. So it tells us here, be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks. So fathers, we need to pay attention to what's going on in our household. We need to know if we come home from work and our wife is, my wife is not happy, you know, she's kind of quiet, and, and you get to know what your wife is like normally. And so you come home and she's just not the way she usually is. Well, okay, what's going on? So you don't need to sit her down and interrogate her, you know, but you need to pay attention. She'll let you know. You need to pay attention. What's going on here? What happened today? And you look at the children. And you need to pay attention. What's going on with the children? And you need to be careful. In today's world, the world we're living in today, it's a different world than when our children were young. And most families now have at least one cell phone in the house. In fact, most have more than one. And most families have a computer in the house, maybe an iPad as well. If you have those things, you need to be extra diligent as a father. You need to be paying attention to what's going on with your family. We saw again at noon here when someone was interested in a wedding that took place in another city. And as soon as that wedding was being played, where were the children? They were all right there, weren't they? It's like a magnet. It draws them in. Now, there's nothing wrong with that if it's under supervision. But if your children are in a habit of that's their diet, that they have to be watching your phone, you got a problem. They should be playing with toys, they should be reading a book, and you should not be preoccupied on your phone either so that you can't help them to see the importance of other things. Because you want your children to grow up to be responsible, to be able to think, to be able to think rationally, to behave themselves wisely, and they're not going to get that from your phone. They're not going to get it there. So you're going to have to understand what is good for your family. A household cannot be run like a democracy. We said in this morning's devotional, I believe it was, talking about the nation of Israel in, in Egypt, that God did not run the nation of Israel like a democracy. And I said there that if he would have, they would have never left Egypt. When you follow the nation of Israel and you see that they finally God let them out or brought them out of uh, uh, bondage, and that was right according to his time. I say finally, but it was right according to his time. But before they got to the Red Sea, what were they doing? complaining right because the water was in front of them and Pharaoh's coming up behind them why'd you bring us out into the wilderness to die they were not very trusting and if if it would have been a democracy guess what they would have done in fact we find after they crossed the Red Sea what did they do they appointed themselves a leader said we're going back to Egypt God didn't let them he sent a plague and stopped them But many times, 
they wanted to go against God. <clears throat> and so the nation of Israel was not a democracy. It was a theocracy. A theocracy, the word theos is a name for God. And so the nation of Israel was to be run as a theocracy. Any good household must be run as a theocracy. Jesus Christ is the head of every man, the Bible says. And so if you're a Christian man, you must understand that, that Jesus Christ is your head. You are not the final say. And so as a father, when you're teaching your children, when you're looking after your wife's needs, you must understand and you must help them to understand you are following what God says. So if one of your children comes to you and says that they want to do something that's wrong, you must tell them, we can't do that because it's against God's will. They need to understand that. They need to understand they're just not going against you, they're going against God. They need to understand that. See, they need to understand where is the authority. That's the biblical authority. And so as a father, for me as a, in this church, I'm the man that needs to be diligent to know the state of the flocks. And I need to know and look well to the herds that God gives me. I need to pay attention to what's going on. What's the conversations that are going on? Is there something that, that we're missing that needs to be taught? You know, we need to look out for the group that God has given. As a pastor, I need to look out for those that are coming here to help them. It's not, I'm not trying to beat up anybody. I'm trying to help us to understand what God says. How can we know his blessing? And again, as I do that, it's very important for me to remind people, this is not my idea. It's not because I'm so smart. This is what God says. And so the wise person says, I'm going to follow what God says. Same thing in our country. We don't have that today. I don't think we have a single politician in Canada that's a Christian today. Why do I say that? Well, Mr. Trudeau has said, you cannot run as a liberal unless you believe that abortion is the right of a woman. A God-fearing Man, and there should be men in politics, cannot agree with that. There's no way that a man can say, a Christian man can say, yeah, okay, I can understand in some conditions the murder of the unborn is, is a good thing. Never can a Christian say that. You also have to agree, it doesn't matter which party you're running in, you have to agree that sodomy is okay. So, there, I don't see how there can be any Christian in Canadian politics today. That's sad. That's a really sad situation. But that's what it looks like. So then, how can we have then in our governments, whether it's federally, provincially, municipally, how can we have then anybody that's diligent to look out for the state of thy flocks? When you have a prime minister that says, 
as one of his campaign platforms, if I become the prime minister, I'm going to legalize the use of marijuana. Is that looking after your flocks? No, that's destroying your flocks. Marijuana is poison. It's worse than alcohol. And it's a gateway to the more deadly drugs. It's not an innocent little thing. Well, a guy likes to have the odd tote, let him have it. You know, No, that's not an innocent thing. It's a wicked thing. And we're beginning to see the effects of that because more marijuana is being used now because people will not be afraid I'm going to get caught. It affects the mind. So we have these situations in our world, in our country, and you see, that's again, as I, we have it on our website, we also have it in every article I put into the paper, every service in this church is essential. Because what people need to hear, whether they want to hear it or not, is not the issue. What people need to hear is what does God say. And occasionally, one of the people that hears that will say, whoa, wait a minute. If that's what God says, I better pay attention. I remember years ago in a church I pastored, there was a man that was attending that church. He, he had attended it when I came to that church. But before that, he was an unsaved man. He was a Catholic. And he was a farmer. And he had married a woman who professed to be a Christian, and that was she was sinning and marrying him, but they were married. And uh, at one point, he, God got his attention more, and he started reading his Bible. And as a Catholic, when he was reading his Bible, he became so afraid of what he was reading because he read about things that God was saying, this is sin and I'm going to judge this this way. And he became so fearful that his wife had to ride in the swather as they're taking off the crop in the fall. He's cutting the crop down. He, had, he asked his wife to come and ride with him in the swather. He was so afraid. And then he would make a, a swath and he would stop and he'd read some Bible and he'd say to his wife, is this true? And she'd say, yeah, it's true. And he'd be just more afraid and more afraid and more afraid. The good news is that eventually he got saved. God used that fear to turn that man not to liquor, not to drugs, but he actually got saved. But you see, the word of God was powerful in speaking to him. That he understood that there were things that God said that he was not prepared for. And so the word of God is important. And that's why this church, we said, we're not shutting down. We locked our doors. We had a sign up warning the unruly, even the police, we warned them, said, you don't have the right, according to the laws of Canada, you don't have the right to interfere in a religious service. And they don't. Not according to how our laws are written. And of course, it doesn't matter how our laws are written. We have the word of God. And in the word of God, it tells us that the government does not have the right 
to shut down the preaching of God's word. They don't have that right. And so we said on our sign that if you want to come in and you want to listen, you knock on the door and we'll let you in. If you want to be a troublemaker, you're not welcome. We don't want someone coming in here while we're preaching and and protesting or trying to look and see how many people have masks on and how distanced are you and all that. Just stay home. We don't need that. We need the truth. And that's my responsibility as a pastor, to make sure that we are able to learn what does God say and to see the importance of following what God says. It's important, very important. So leaders need to pay attention to what's going on in the flock that God gives them. The second thing that we see in our text is don't worship the dollar. Don't worship the dollar. Verse 24. For riches are not forever. That word not. You should underline that word. Riches are not forever. And doth the crown endure to every generation? You see, most people, sadly, most people, they make their decisions as to where they're going to live based on economics. What kind of a job can I get? How much money does it pay? That's how most people think. And then... Some people will say, okay, now that I've got the job, now I guess we'll look for a church. Some people, few people. Most people don't even care about the church. But a few people will say, well, now we need a good church. Is that backwards? If you go in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Most of us here are very familiar with that verse. And it says there, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. You know, when I was... 35 years old, 35 years old, I surrendered to God and said, okay, well, actually, I did it before that, but at 35 is when we went off to Bible school. 35. I was married. We had three children. My mother-in-law said to me, how can you be so irresponsible? You have a family, and you're going to go off to Bible school. That was my mother-in-law. That's pretty close to home. That hurt me. Was I being irresponsible? Was I not looking after my family? I had to consider that. But I was convinced that God had something different in mind for me, something better than what I was doing. 
and that I needed to prepare for that. And so even though she told me that, and she challenged me on what I was doing, I had to listen to God first, not to my mother-in-law. And we went off to Bible school. It was a completely new experience for my wife and I. Because while I was in school, I didn't have a job. So there was no paycheck. And when we went to Bible school, we didn't have thousands of dollars. We had $3,000 when we left for Bible school. And we had to pay rent every month. We had to buy groceries every month. We had to buy gas for the car every month. We had bills to pay, but we had no income. So, as a father, and I was raised to be a responsible father, not to go on welfare. I never asked the government for money. But I knew that it was my responsibility that our family be fed. I didn't send my wife off to work and say, well, I'm in school, you've got to go out and work. It was my responsibility. But how were we going to do that if I was not working? Well, you know, all that God asked me to do, he said, I want you to prepare for what I have for you. I didn't even know what that was. I thought, when we went off to Bible school, I thought that we were going to end up in the Sudan. I thought we were going to go over there and we were going to help the people of the Sudan to learn how to farm and look after themselves. And while I was training them in that, because I was a farmer, I was going to preach the gospel to them. That's what I thought I was going to do. And so when we went to Bible school, that was the plan. Prepare to go to the Sudan. We already had an organization that was willing to take us on and willing to help us to get to the Sudan. But they said you need to have some Bible school training. So okay, that's what we did. While I was at Bible school, God showed me that the little bit of time that that group wanted for us to prepare, for me particularly to prepare, was not nearly enough. I learned when I got to Bible school and started studying the Bible that I was very ignorant of the Bible. And I realized that one semester of Bible school is never going to be enough. And the school that I attended, they offered a three-year program. So I decided I'm staying for the three years. But I had no job. So again, how are we going to look after things? Well, it's very interesting. When you obey God, it's very interesting how God takes care of everything that you need when you obey him. Again, if we look at the book of Exodus, we looked at it this morning in our devotional, if you read it. And you notice there that the nation of Israel, they left Egypt with some dough, right? You remember that? They left with dough and they left with their kneading troughs, right? So that they could knead that dough. But they didn't leave with a grain cart full of wheat. They left with some dough and the kneading troughs. That's all they had. They had their livestock too, yes, but they didn't butcher them on the way. So how were they going to eat for the whole trip from Egypt to the land of Canaan? They couldn't carry enough dough. Those of you that bake, you know. 
They couldn't carry enough dough to get them from here to there. How were they going to survive? You see, all that they needed to do was to obey God. And because they obeyed God, God would provide for them. And he still does that today. How did we manage leaving the farm with $3,000, a wife and three children to feed? How did we manage to survive for three years? Well, interestingly, because I obeyed God, people who we didn't even know started sending us money. We didn't even know them. I hadn't sent out letters asking people for money. But people started sending us, in fact, the one family, they were so faithful in sending us money, and there was never an address. Oh, yes, sorry, there was an address, but I didn't know where they lived. And I wanted to be able to meet them and personally thank them for this gift they were giving us. They never wrote me a letter to tell me where they lived. So all I had is a box number, and we sent them thank yous all the time. But to this day, I don't know. I wouldn't be able to point them out because I've never met them. But through those three years, we left home with $3,000. When we were done our three years of Bible school, we left Bible school with $3,000. And all of our Bible school paid for it. Didn't have a single debt. Why? Because we put God first. We said, this is what God wants from us. And this is what we're going to do. And we're going to trust God to provide. I was not going to have my family starve. I was not going to make my wife the breadwinner. And in the first summer that we were at Bible school, I took a job working at a seed plant to make some money. The rest of the summers, I didn't work for money. We went off to Wiboden one summer. I was a summer fill-in evangelist in that town for the church there. And I, I pastored the church during the summer months. And the, the following year, we did different camp work. But I didn't work for money. But when we left school, we didn't have a single debt. And we had money in the bank. Not extra money, no more than we came with. I didn't go to school to get rich, and I didn't get rich. I haven't pastored to get rich, and I'm not rich, but God has looked after us. And so in a sense, in a real sense, I am rich. Rich in knowing Christ and knowing his blessings. But you see, when we put God first... He has a way of looking after us. So when we look at our text, for riches are not forever. You can be a multimillionaire today and you can be broke tomorrow. My wife has, I'm not sure, I don't think it's an uncle, I think it's a cousin on her side. Years ago, an unsaved man, he played the lotteries, and he won at least a million. I can't remember if it was more, but it was at least a million dollars he won. 
sold. He got himself some financial advisors, and they told him, if you want to build that million, buy yourself a construction company. So that's what he did. He bought a few trucks, and back this is back before things were as expensive as they are now, and he started to work with that equipment. Well, it wasn't more than a couple of years, and he didn't have a penny left. He was broke. Riches are not forever. In the world that we're living right now, with the inflation that we have, and with the bad government that we have, and with the immorality that we have dominating in our country, Canada is on its way down. And I don't have to be a financial expert to tell you that. I just need to look at God's word. We're on our way down. That's very obvious. The debt load that Canada is carrying, we're on our way down. How long will we last? I don't know. God knows. But true Christians should not be thinking, well, I need to see if I can find a better place to invest my money because I need to have a bigger nest egg. That can all be gone. We know from this this last February, March, and April that the government stepped in and they froze the bank accounts of certain people. We know that, 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 that Freedom Convoy, they got the help from GoFundMe. Over $10 million came in through that fund. The government froze all of it. Then there was another group that started raising money, and they raised over $10 million again in just a very short time. And the government said, and that group was from the United States, and the government said that money is not allowed to cross the border. So it didn't help. See, our governments have become so invasive now that they can lock your bank account that you cannot access your money. So don't think, I have lots of money, I'm safe. You're not safe. Riches are not forever. And if you think that the most important thing in your life is to make sure that you have a good nest egg, you are way off course. Way off course. The second half of that verse says, And doth the crown endure to every generation? Is it a guaranteed thing? If we look at that literally, is it a guaranteed thing that because your father is the king that you will be the next king? Is that guaranteed? We can look at Russian history and we can see what happened to the czars in Russia. They were in power. They had the army behind them. But all of a sudden there was a revolution. And what happened to the czar and to his family? Many of them were killed. Some of them had to flee. So you cannot rely what God is telling us here You cannot rely on the things of this world. 
They are temporary. And that's an important truth for us to understand. If you're saved here today, you need to know that for sure. We need to be diligent. As a father, I've worked hard all my life. I've worked hard to provide for my family. But I understand that it doesn't matter how big of a nest egg I build, that can be gone very quickly. And I don't have to be a foolish spender for that to happen. All we need to have is a world that's corrupt, and that's what we have right now. And so I'm not trusting in what little bit of money we have. I'm not trusting in that. That can be gone in a flash. Very quickly, the government can say, that's ours now. And there's nothing I can do about it. If they say that's ours, they're going to take it away. There's nothing I can do to stop them. Because we have a corrupt government. And so, if you're trusting in your riches, and if you're saved, and that's your bottom line, I need to make sure, once I figure out the finances, then I can start to follow God. You've got it backwards. You need to first decide, I need to follow God, and if I am following God, he will supply my needs. That's what the Bible says. And he has proved that in the Bible. And I've talked to you about how that he has shown us personally that's true. I'm nobody special. I'm just a man. Saved by grace. But there's some things that I've learned about God. And I can tell you today that God has looked after us in ways that I never expected. Sometimes... I was concerned, wondering. I remember when I got run over by the tractor and I couldn't work for almost a year. I couldn't work. I couldn't walk for more than nine months. I thought maybe I'm never going to walk again. And I remember talking to my dad at one time during that time. And he was asking how things were going. And I started complaining to him about my lot and how that... You know, my leg wasn't healing and I couldn't work and this and that. And he says to me, now, Walter, my dad never wrote out a check and said, here's a thousand dollars to get you through. He never did that. But he helped me to stop and to think. Yes, my situation then was serious. But... My dad didn't tell me to trust God because he didn't have a very clear testimony of salvation. I don't even know if he was saved. But he helped me to stop and to think that complaining was not the answer. Being on a pity party was not going to fix anything. And again, in spite of the fact that during that whole time that I was recovering... I didn't work, I didn't make any money, but God looked after us. We didn't have any debts coming out of that whole thing. God looked after us. The key to success, go in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. 
And understand, please understand, I am not talking on the lines of Kenneth Copeland and all these kooks that are out there, faith healers and all of them cuckoos that talk about, if you give me $10, God's going to bless you so much you won't know what to do with it. I'm not talking like that at all. Those people are fools. They're snake oil salesmen. They're crooks. I'm talking about following God and trusting him. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua is 80 years old. And he's the new leader of the nation of Israel. Moses has died. Joshua is now the leader. In verse 8. Let's start at verse 6. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for inheritance the land. Which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all what? The law. What's the law? That's God's word. Which Moses, my servant, commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then... Thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Now let me ask you the question. Verse 8 again. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Let me ask you the question. If you are meditating on God's word day and night, is there any room for any other thoughts then? If you're meditating on God's word day and night, does the devil have room to come and give you doubts? No. Not if you're meditating on God's word all the time. There's no room for anything else. And the point that God is driving home here with Joshua, the same point we need to have, is that we need to fill our minds with his word. Go to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man... That walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate when? Day and night. So there's three things in verse 1 that this man does not do. He does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He does not stand in the way of sinners, 
and he does not sit in the seat of the scornful. Those are three things he does not do. But what does he do? He meditates on the word of God day and night. Why does he do that? Because he delights in God's law. See, if you read the Bible because you think you have to, because the pastor might ask me if I read my Bible yesterday, you're not going to get what Psalm 1 is talking about. But if you read your Bible because I want to know my God, I love him, and I want to know him, and I delight in his word, you are going to be blessed by him. I remember years ago we were visiting in a church and they happened to have to be Father's Day. And so the pastor asked all the fathers to come to the front because he was going to give them all little gifts, little things. And so he asked different questions of us as fathers. And uh, in, in all of the questions he asked, I could answer, yes, I've done that. And there was another man in that church, he was a member of that church, and he could say the same thing. So the end, there was two of us left. Everybody else had missed out on, I don't even remember what all the questions were. But I remember the last question. The last question is, how many chapters of the Bible did you read today? Well, my habit then already was, and still is, I read five chapters of the Bible every morning. That's my habit, been that way for years. And so, he asked, how many chapters did you read today? I said, five. The other man says, five. So then the pastor went further. Which chapters did you read? See, and for me, it was such a habit that I read five chapters that I said I read five chapters. But then when he asked that question, now I had to think. And I was at that particular time in Luke's gospel account. And I was reading the last chapters of Luke. Now, what's the last chapter of Luke? What's the number? Anybody know? Luke chapter 24. Yeah, 24. So if I'm reading from 20 to 24, is that 5? No, it's 4. See, I wasn't lying. Well, 21 would have been is where I started. So I wasn't lying, but I hadn't thought it through because my normal practice is five a day, but because it ended with 24, so that day it happened to be four. So I didn't read five. The other man read five. He said what he read, he read five. He got the last prize. I didn't. But you see, the important thing I'm trying to bring across here is that we need to have a habit of delighting in God's word. Now, since the last, I don't know, last little while, last couple of years, I'm not nearly, I used to just be very strict, five chapters, that's where I stopped for the day, for the, for the morning. But I'm not so strict now anymore. Sometimes I read more than five. I don't read less, but I read more. Why do I do that? So I can brag to you? No. I do that because I want to know my God. I want to know him. I want to know how to live my life in such a way that I'm pleasing him. Because I love him. And I want to serve him faithfully. That's why I do that. When I first started, when I first started reading uh, five chapters in a day, I had a sheet of paper. 
and I would write down when I finished, because you get through the Bible more than once that way in a year, and I used to write down at what date I started and what date I finished. But you know what? God helped me to lose that paper. Not that I was intentionally, I threw it away, but I don't know where it is. I haven't had it for years now. And I think that's a good thing. See, I don't have any bragging rights. I can't tell you I've read my Bible through this number of times. And I don't need to tell you that, because that's not what's important. What's important is are you reading God's Word? Are you reading it in the sense that you're meditating upon it, that God's Word is actually governing your life? That's what's important. And that's what we need to understand when we look at our text in Proverbs chapter 27 and in verse 24. Riches aren't going to last. There's no guarantee that because your father had success that you're going to have success. There's no guarantee of that. There's something far more important than that in life. And that is to know the Lord and to walk with him faithfully. And you cannot walk faithfully with the Lord if you're not reading his word faithfully. You can't do it. So, the importance of God's word. Don't worship the dollar. Understand what's important. The third point that we have here is God looks after things when he is in charge. We already talked about that, but that's what we see here in verses 25 to 27. The hay appeareth, and the tender grass showeth itself, and the herbs of the mountains are gathered. So what does the farmer do in the spring to make the hay appear? Well, every once in a while, the farmer will work up his hay field and he'll put new seed in. Especially if he wants alfalfa, if he wants clover in there, he's going to have to work it up and reseed it because that crop, clover and alfalfa, the frost kills off some of it every winter. So eventually the amount of clover and alfalfa is so small and there's so much grass that the farmer says, you know, I've got a dairy herd, I need good quality hay, so I'm going to plow it under, I'm going to reseed and start over. But beyond that, what does the farmer do? How many farmers irrigate their hay field? They don't. God gives them the rain, right? And the, the crop comes up, the grass is nice and green, it grows and it grows and it grows and the alfalfa grows and it becomes taller and it starts to flower and depending what you've got, if you've got a dairy herd, you want to get it when there's just a few flowers because that's when there's the most energy, the most protein, the most value in that hay. If you let it go to too much flour, the stalk becomes woody, it's harder for the cow to digest, and there's as much, as much food value in it. So that's why if you've got a dairy herd, the farmer will cut it when it's a little bit shorter, less flowers, and he may cut more times. he cut maybe three times in a year. Whereas the beef farmer says, I don't need the high quality feed, I need lots of feed. 
So he'll wait for maybe half flowering or maybe two-thirds flowering, and then he goes and cuts off, and you say, yeah, I got this number of bales off my first cut. And then he waits for the second cut to grow up, and I got this many bales off my second cut. Whereas the dairy farmer says, I got this kind of quality out of my hay. My cows are going to milk well because I've got really good quality feed. Whereas the beef farmer, he's just concerned about that his cows maintain their weight, that they can raise a calf. And so in the springtime, when the cow is calving for the beef farmer, that's when he's going to get out his second cut hay, which is usually a little better quality than the first cut. And that's when he's going to feed that to his cows because now they need to make milk for that calf. But the dairy farmer, he wants that good quality feed all year round. But what does he do to get that hay? He goes out and cuts it. He bales it. But God is the one who gives them the rain. God is the one who gives them the heat units that are needed to grow the crop. God is the one who does most of the work. So, in verse 25... The hay appeareth, and the tender grass showeth itself, and the herbs of the mountains are gathered. What does the the herb gatherer do when he goes up into the mountains looking for those herbs? Did he plant those herbs? No, they're just there. You know, if you go around right now in our area, and you go and you know where to go, you can find chokecherries. If you go out to the right areas, you can find some cranberries. Did anybody plant those? Yeah, the birds did. But not that a farmer went out and said, I'm going to plant choke cherries in this ditch. He didn't plant them. But yet anybody that is interested in those things, if they know where to go and look, they can find. You can even find wild plums. Even wild raspberries. Ronnie's favorite. <laughs> but you see, you can find those things because God put them there. And all he needs for us to do is to go and take advantage of what he gives us. So again, the person that is following God and he is wanting to serve God and he's looking for something to gather together so he has something for the winter, but he doesn't have the land to grow it. He just goes out there along the ditches, he doesn't have to go into the farmer's field, just along the ditches and different places, and he finds different things that he can gather together that can feed him for the winter. We read about a family that a couple of years ago, they gathered chokecherries, and she made juice from them. And every day, apparently, her family took a tablespoon of that juice every day. And she noticed they didn't get colds that winter. The next year, didn't have time or whatever, but they didn't make any choke cherry juice. And she observed, this mother observed, that winter they all got sick with colds. So she figured, I'm going to go out and gather choke cherries again and make juice because it seemed to help. And choke cherry juice apparently is high in vitamin C. So vitamin C is good for us, isn't it? So you see, there are these things that God has given us that can help us, and we don't have to fret ourselves over them. Verse 26. The lambs are for thy clothing, and the goats are the price of the field. 
Now what did you do to that lamb to get it to grow wool? Did you put a sign in front of it and say, grow wool? Did you go out the next day and you gave it some, some salve or something to make sure the wool would grow more? No. The nature of a sheep is to grow wool. Yes, you need to feed it, but the nature of that sheep is to grow wool. So you don't need to fuss yourself over that. You just need to look after that sheep and trust God to help that sheep to be able to produce the wool that you need to make clothing and maybe to sell some of it for money. But again, God is the one who's looking after you in these practical ways. Verse 27. And thou shalt have goat's milk enough for thy food, for the food of thy household, and for the maintenance uh, for thy maidens. And all of that is dependent on verse 23. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and to look well to thy herds. So when we do what God tells us to do, he looks after the rest. But when we don't want to do what God tells us to do, we should not expect that he's going to look after the rest. And the problem is that too often we don't want to do what God tells us to do, but we still put our hand out and say, well, God, where's the blessings? You promised blessings in your word. Why aren't I getting them? Well, the reason you're not getting them is because you're not following what God says. You see, in the New Testament, Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before the swine. Don't do that. Because why? What's the swine going to do with your pearls? You may think, wow, I got these nice pearls. I'm going to put them on and show people, look what I've got. What's the swine going to do with those pearls? Yeah, he's going to put them in his mouth and chomp on them and next thing you know the necklace is broken and they're swallowed up and where do they go then? They come out the poop. Did they help the swine anything? Not a thing. See? So when we put God first, then we appreciate what he gives us. When we don't put God first, we grumble and complain because we didn't get what we wanted. Right? When we put God first, our thinking is different. When we put ourselves first, our thinking is also different. That's very easy to see if you pay attention to people. You can see the farmer that he's got his crop ready to take off and it rains. Oh, why has it got to rain today? I wanted to go out and harvest today. And then he's seeding his crop and the sun is shining. Oh, it's so hot today. My crop's going to burn up before it can ever grow. You know? Never thankful. Even though God wants to bless, never thankful. And farmers aren't alone in that. A lot of people, they're always complaining about what's going on around them. It's never what they wanted for that particular moment. The Christian looks at life differently. The Christian understands that God is in charge. God knows what I need. I need to follow him, and I need to learn to work within the parameters that he gives me. 
Does it always work out that it's, it's uh, bountiful in regard to material things? No. But again, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You see, the key word in that verse is needs. We need to understand what a need is. And our needs are vastly different than our wants. And I told you before about how God supplied our needs when we were at Bible school. Not our wants. We didn't have a snowmobile. A lot of, some of the other people on campus had a snowmobile. We didn't go on holidays. We didn't have a boat. We didn't have a lot of things. But all of our needs were met. And I didn't complain that we didn't have a snowmobile. And I didn't complain that we didn't have a boat. Because they're not a need. They're not a need. That's a want. And so if we will allow God to adjust our thinking to what is a need as compared to what is a want, then we can be thankful for what he has given to us. And we can get by on a lot less than if we live according to our wants. Now there's some things, sometimes it's nice to have a few extras. But when we get to the place in our lives where we think we have to have those things and we waste our time and our money and everything else on getting those things and we sacrifice the things of God for the sake of our wants, now we've got a problem. Now we've got a problem. We need to learn that God's word needs to come first. God's will needs to come first. Not our wants and wishes. What God says is what's important. Not what I want. And what we need to learn is to let God change our wants. If you go in your Bibles, and we're going to close with this, Psalm 23. Just verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Can you say that today? Can I say that today? That's where we need to come to. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And when that is in its rightful place, then we can read the rest of that psalm and we can say, yeah, yeah, that's true. But when that's not in its rightful place, then the rest of the psalm is not going to fit for us either. So don't skip over that. That's a very famous psalm at funerals. But I believe that most of the time it's skipped over and we talk about the running waters and all this stuff and we forget about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that makes all the difference as to what 
we see around us, are these really good waters? Is this really green grass? Are my enemies really kept at bay? And if God's not first, then the rest isn't going to work either. So we need to stop and think, who is your God? From this morning's message and this afternoon, put God first in your life. Put him first. And you'll be surprised at how things change. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful this afternoon again that we have thy word. We're thankful for the truthfulness of thy word, for the blessing of being able to study thy word. I pray that thou wouldst help us, that we would see the importance of knowing thee as our God and Savior and putting thee first and getting out of this worldly mindset that we think that we need to have all our ducks in a row. We need to have this much money in the bank. We need to have this much insurance on things. We need to have this car, and we need to do this or this thing, and everything's got to be in place. And then, if that's all good, then we can start thinking about serving God. I pray, Father, that thou wouldst help us to see the wickedness of that thinking. First things first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I pray that thou wouldst help us to see the importance of putting thee first. Pray, Father, for anyone that's listening that's not saved, that they might see the most important thing for them is to be saved today. That they could begin to walk with thee, trusting thee, to meet their needs, to give them thy peace. And for those of us that are saved, that we might see the importance as well of putting thee first. Not things, but thee. To know thy peace and blessing. Pray thy will be accomplished in each heart and life. And we want to be careful to give thee the praise and the glory, because thou alone art worthy, we pray in Jesus' name.